1 John chapter 5. We established and we looked at verses 6 through 9 last week that truth matters. That changes in time or in our culture, they do not change God's testimony about His Son. You know that the Bible has confirmed and is continuing to confirm what God has always thought about His Son from all eternity past. Therefore, these will still be God's thoughts about His Son no matter how far we go into the future. They will never change. So the the question that we're left with then is, this is God's testimony, what will we do with it? Because my response to God's testimony determines whether I will know Him only as creator and judge, or if I will also know Him as Savior and friend. It matters about whether my response to it is whether I will have life or whether I don't. So, we'll read verse 9, and then we'll pick up our study in verse 10. Verse 9 says, if we receive the witness of men, or since we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son. He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in Himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar, because he believes not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So, as we see here, God's testimony is clear. We receive the testimony of men. The testimony of God's greater, we should receive His. But then in verse 10, He goes on to say, He that believes in the Son of God, it's, you also have a testimony. He explains that by our belief, we have a testimony. Now, here uh, John is explaining the difference between belief and unbelief, and it's not as simple as we might think. But before he gets into the difference, he, we need to talk about what does it mean to believe. He that believes on the Son of God. Like most of the time, I'll talk to people and say, well, I believe in God. I'm like, well, yes, that's great. But that basically means you're not a fool. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That doesn't mean you're saved. The devil believes. The Bible says he trembles. So, it's, you know, devil's never questioning if God exists. So, here John makes it clear, believe on the Son of God. What does it mean to believe on Jesus? Because that's the phrase we see very often in the Bible. Well, let's turn to John chapter 6, because Jesus explains it. John chapter 6. What does it mean to believe on the Son of God? John chapter 6, verses 26 through 29, Jesus has this conversation with a group of people. Now, the group of people are the individuals, the large, massive group, 5,000 males, so probably about anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people that he fed miraculously the day before. After they were fed, they went home. Jesus, he went up into a mountain to pray, told the disciples to go sail over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Storm comes up. They think they're going to die. Jesus comes out walking on the water, freaks them all out, and then, of course, he comes, steps into the boat. Then the seas are calm, and immediately they're at the other side. Miraculous. Well, they wake up the next day and are thinking, this is awesome, Jesus for president, free lunch every day. And then they can't find him. So they, they go looking. They, people, man, you give them free lunch, they will go looking. So they go looking. They go all the way to the other side of the lake. And when they finally catch up to him, they said, Rabbi, how'd you get here? 
Jesus answered and said to them, verse 26, John 6, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles. You're not back because you saw me do something and you go, who is this guy? You're back because you did eat of the loaves and you were filled. You want more free lunch. And then he says this, do not labor for the food which perishes. You guys worked really hard to get free lunch, which is funny because it's a dichotomy, isn't it? It's not really free if you have to work that hard to get it, right? You worked really hard. Don't work really hard for the food which perishes, but what should you put your effort and time into? But put your time and effort into that, or that food which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give unto you. I'll give it, I'll just give it to you. For him has God the Father sealed. I thought, that's great. This is a great deal. We don't have to go around the lake every day to get free lunch. And they said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? What, what do we have to do? What's our part? Because that's what John, when he says you need to believe, you that believe on the name of the Son of God, you got to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's a part we play. And Jesus answered and said to them, easy question, what do we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. This is what God wants you to do. Believe on him that he has sent. Now, we know they saw the miracles. We know they experienced Jesus' work in their life. They traveled all the way around the Sea of Galilee to find him to experience more of his work in their life. But Jesus said they were working hard for something that really wouldn't, that, uh, that would not last. They needed to do something different. And if they did set something different, Jesus would gift to them eternal life. Therefore, clearly the belief that John is talking about can't be simple intellectual agreement with God's testimony. It can't even be proximity to God's work because they already had that. They had belief and they said, oh yeah, we, we come to him, he can give us free lunch. They had proximity to, the, to his work. But that wasn't believing. That's because the word believe is different than how we use it. We look up and we see the storm clouds coming. It's Florida. We go, I believe it's going to rain today because all the evidence points and intellectually we go, that's going to happen. Now, if you were a farmer, you'd be looking up there and you go, man, I've been trusting for it to rain or whatever it might be that you need the rain. I've been, I've been praying for it to rain. I've been trusting for rain. I've been hoping rain. I've been, all my fortunes are in the fact that I need rain. That's what the Bible term believe means. It means to trust in, to rely on. So, yes, God's testimony is that Jesus is His beloved Son. We need to believe that. Yes, Jesus, God said Jesus pleases Him. We need to believe that. But God also said, listen to my Son. That's a part of God's testimony. That's part of what we are believing on. And what did Jesus say if we're supposed to listen to Him? He said, believe on me. Believe on me. Trust in me. Rely upon me. Later he would say, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Pastor Justin, he brought this up two weeks ago, that we do have a part to play. We need to yoke in with Jesus. We have a part to play. Now, I realize that that bothers some people's theology. But if you are going to say, for example, I get in trouble. I say, it's not all God people get upset. It's not all God because the Bible doesn't teach it's all God. The Bible says we have a part to play and anything else, therefore, is heresy. We have a part to play. Jesus said, come unto me. Come, you have to come. Now he's drawing you, but you have to decide to come. Come. 
He said, come unto me, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's why it's good news. He says, come, trust in me, rely upon me. What do I have to do? Just yoke in with me. Well, like, don't I have to like bring this too? No, no, just yoke in with me. Trust me. But you have to decide to yoke in with me and I'll give you rest for your souls. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. We have a part to play. Every human being is laboring for something. We're all working for something, even if it's working hard to not have to work. We're all working hard for something. But the one who believes on Jesus is laboring to enter rest, to rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. In Hebrews chapter 4, we have this interesting passage where he talks again, we have a part to play. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, he's referencing the fact that there were those who came out of the Exodus and they did not do their part. They did not trust the Lord, and as a result, they missed out on all God had for them. They died in the wilderness. And so he says in chapter 1 and verse 4 in Hebrews, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Jesus says, listen, I will do all the work. I Just yoke in with me. I will carry the load. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. But you got to yoke in with me. No, I want to walk in circles in the desert. But it's better if you yoke in with me. Nope, I want to walk in circles in the desert. Then you will miss out on all the rest that God's provided. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us as entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Why? For unto us was the gospel preached just like it was to them, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we have a part to play. We have to mix what we hear, what God has done for us, the gift that God offers to us with faith. We need to trust and rely upon Christ. For we which have believed, verse 3, do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Everything's been done. Everything is there. God has provided everything. We just need to enter in. Talk goes down in Hebrews 4, 10 and 11. For he that has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Therefore, let us labor. Same word Jesus used. Let us labor to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief unbelief. That's the difference between belief and unbelief. This is what it means to trust in Jesus, to believe on the name of the Son of God. And if you're trusting in the Son of God who became a man and died for your sins, then you have your own testimony, John says in 1 John 5.10. He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. The word there means you presently possess a testimony. You have a testimony. I remember the, the old hymn, I have a testimony. That's you. You have a testimony. We already talked about it when we looked at the end of verse 6 when it mentions that the Spirit bears witness. We talked about how the work of God's Spirit in us, that we have a personal experience of knowing Jesus through His work. The Holy Spirit teaches us about Jesus day by day when we read the Word. And then the Holy Spirit is making us more like Jesus day by day, right? Right? 
That's your testimony. Romans 8, verses 14 through 16, Paul says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. God doesn't want us walking around in fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I belong to my Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How? By the same, that's his witness. By his work in our lives, changing us, and by teaching us the Scriptures. If you experience that, the Holy Spirit teaching you the Scriptures, and He's changing you, making you more like Christ, you have a testimony. The progress that we experience in our obedience to God and our love for others and in knowing the truth, that's our testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why people will say, I gave my testimony today at church, or I shared my testimony with someone. They tell the story of who they used to be and what Jesus has done to change them. And that change is personal evidence that we have received God's testimony. You say, prove to me that Jesus is the Son of God. You can just say, look at me. I'm evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm evidence that God, that what He said is true because I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I used to be. So you have a testimony. And if that describes you, then rejoice. Rejoice. Are you exactly like Jesus yet? No. That means you are His. And guys, God finishes what He starts. Amen? He finishes what He starts. He'll never, never let you go. In contrast, the person who rejects God's testimony about Jesus, they tell a very different story. Look at the end of verse 10. It says, but he that believes not God has made him a liar because he does not believe the record that God gave of his son. One who rejects Jesus' words, one who refuses to trust in Jesus, they have made. It's not that they declare, but they have made God out to be a liar. The phrase has made, it means an act or a decision that perpetuates your present condition. It means there's a point in time where you made a decision, God is not telling the truth. And your very life perpetuates that message. God is not telling the truth. God is a liar. One who utters falsehoods. I think we make the mistake sometimes of thinking of an unbeliever as just someone who's ignoring God or they're deciding to go a different direction with their life. And I think Maybe before you were saved, you might relate to this, that when I was an unbeliever, I, I probably thought the same thing. Like, well, I mean, I'm just not, I'm not doing the God thing like you are. I'm just going my own way. God's going this way. I'm going this way. But it's not that simple. A decision to not believe the Father's testimony is a decision to declare something, that God is not who He says He is and that Jesus is not who God tells us He is. Do you get that? When I choose not to believe, I choose not to trust Jesus, I'm declaring God isn't who He says He is and Jesus isn't who God tells us He is. I don't know about you, I don't like being called a liar. I don't imagine anyone here does, even if you are. But the truth is, I've been a liar at certain points in my life, and so have you. So essentially, if someone ever called us a liar, it would not not be completely untrue even if it wasn't in that instance. But God is holy. God never lies. 
And so whether someone maliciously intends to call a holy, perfect God a liar, or they just simply don't agree with God, they're doing more than just rejecting Jesus. What you're doing is you're saying, I'm better than you, God. You're the liar, not me. I'm telling the truth. And that is a problem. Not because God's like somehow personally offended at not being recognized. Because for me to say I'm better than God, that I tell the truth and God, you lie, that's the biggest lie you could tell. And it's the height of arrogance. Pride is, it's a word we see a lot today, but it's one of the main causes of all the pain in the world. Selfishness is one of the other main causes. Pride, my personal pride of, of what I think and what I'm going to do. Humanity critiques God by saying, if God was good, why doesn't He do something about all the evil in the world? That's not a very difficult question to answer. Sometimes people will come to me and think, I'm going to get the pastor. And they'll say that, and that's not a hard one to answer. If God is good, why doesn't He do something about all the evil in the world? Simple, because He would then have to wipe us all out, because all of us do evil. Think about it for, I mean, just be honest. Think about it and look at what we've done to our world. Look at all the pain that we've caused. Now, we've done that. God doesn't want to judge us for that. So all He asks is be honest with yourself. See that you're the problem. You're part of the problem and you are the problem. Turn from your pride and your selfishness and look to me for grace and I'll give it to you freely. You don't have to somehow do enough good things to balance it out or get above the bad things, the evil things you've done, the problems you've created. He says, just humble yourself. Look to me for grace, and I'll give it to you. When an individual decides to stay prideful in that moment by deciding to not believe God's testimony about Jesus, that's far more than a, I don't care, or I don't agree, or I'm just going to go my own way. It's me declaring, I hear you, God, but I still think I'm right and you're wrong. And persisting in that unbelief never produces life. We work so hard to find life. It's devastating when you look at the numbers right now of how miserable people are. It's crazy. Like you just watch these numbers just keep going up. The numbers, particularly amongst our young people today, they just, they're really high. That's because persisting in this unbelief never produces life. Doing it on our own never produces life. Because life only comes from Jesus. Verse 11, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in His Son. John is going to sum up what God spoke from heaven at Jesus' baptism, the Mount of Transfiguration, and in John chapter 12, days before the cross, when he said, glorified it, will continue to glorify it. This is God's testimony in its most simple explanation. God has given us eternal life, and you find that life in his Son. Simple. What does someone need to understand those two things? God is offering you eternal life, and the only way to get it is in Jesus. It's that simple. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. That's the most basic. You want to dial it down, the most simple explanation 
of God's testimony is, I have given you. The word given here, it's, it means a snapshot of a moment in history. There was a moment in time when God caused something to happen, when He produced something that wasn't there before. And it tells us that what He produced and what He gave, it was to us. The thing that He caused to be was directed towards us. He produced it for us. And what is it? Eternal life. Now, that means that eternal life can not only be described as a quantity or a length of life, because that already existed prior to the cross, all right? We were going to either live forever, no matter what, either with Him or separate, that already existed. So it must mean more. Eternal life that He's talking about here must mean more than just a quantity of life, a length of life, and it does. John 10.10, the thief comes, but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Life on a different level. Life as God originally designed it to be. Eternal life is a quality of life. It's the eternal one living in and through us, thereby giving us life above the norm. John's simplified account of God's testimony is this. God freely gave that life to us in the package of His Son. It's that simple. Yes, when we talk about His Sonship, we need to understand that Jesus is the preexistent, eternal Creator who became a man and then died for our sins, that He's the one who rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father and who's coming back to rule and reign. John already spent the entire book teaching us those truths. But the summary of God's testimony is simple. Here's eternal life. God's made it available to you, and you can have it by placing your trust, God says, in my Son, by following my Son. That's pretty clear, isn't it? No confusion there, which is what leads to John's famous statement in verse 12. He that has the Son has life, and he that does not have the Son of God does not have life. He that has. If you presently possess Jesus, then you presently possess eternal life. If you currently have Jesus, you have eternal life right now. If you don't currently have Jesus, then you do not currently have eternal life. There is no such thing as a partway believer. There's no such thing as a halfway sort of believer. You're either saved or you aren't. You're either in Christ or you're lost. You're either born again or you're dead in your sins. The difference is whether you've had your own snapshot moment in history. There was a snapshot moment in history on the cross where Jesus said, it is finished, and it was accomplished, and God gave us eternal life. You need to have your own snapshot moment where you decide to believe God's testimony and follow Jesus. Have you made that decision? Do you currently possess Jesus? If you do, then eternal life is not something you're waiting for. You have it right now. You have it for your marriage. You have it for your parenting. You have it for your work life or your battle against sin or in your relationship with God. It's already been given to you. It's always right there. You can always access it. You can go to the Lord and you go, God, my marriage is dying. And you can say, but Lord, you've promised life. So Lord, I know you can help me. I know you can breathe life back into me. Help me to be the wife or the husband I need to be. I know you can breathe life into my kids. I know you can breathe life into me as a parent. I know you can enable me to be the coworker or the boss or the employee I need to be. I know you can 
overcome sin in my life because you gave me life right now. It's mine. It's great news. If you don't currently possess Jesus, then you don't have any of those things. You are left to do marriage, parenting, work, temptation, and then someday to face God all alone. And the reason that an individual stays lost is because they answer John's statement here in verse 12 with, that's fine with me. I can do all those things on my own. I can do that. And then as we set out to do it on our own, we convince ourselves that it's working out just fine. And if we persist in that mentality, eventually we die and we stand before God and realize the truth. It was never fine. It was never fine. One of the saddest things that I experience as a pastor, a repeated experience for me, is to people come to me after 10 years, 15 years, 20, 25, 30 years of doing it their own way and thinking everything's fine coming to me shattered and broken and saying those exact words. I thought I was a good husband. I thought I was a good dad. I thought I was a good mom. I thought I, I, thought I was a hard worker. I thought I, I thought I had my life together. I thought everything was fine. And sometimes even you have to reiterate to them, it's not fine. Because <laughs> you're like, but, but I, I, it was fine. They're like, no, it wasn't fine. You wouldn't be here if it was fine. You wouldn't be shattered right now if it was fine. He that has the Son has life. But he that does not have, and then John changes it a little bit here. He says, has not the Son of God, has not life. I think John gives the full title here to remind us that God's testimony is correct whether we believe it or not. Whether you believe it or not, it's still correct. Not accepting God's testimony about Jesus doesn't make it not true. Won't it be a wonderful thing someday to look into the eyes of Jesus and know that you're forgiven and free? Like, won't that be awesome? Like, that is so hard. It's not so hard these days, but it's been so hard over the years mentally for me to think that I come to Jesus and I'm not getting the stink eye. I come to Jesus and you kind of got to be like, hey, hey, Lord, how you doing? How's the day going? Don't really want to talk about mine. But I'll be able to look right at him and he'll look at me with favor. Won't that be a wonderful thing? It's awesome. It's going to be a wonderful thing. I can't imagine what a terrifying thing it would be to look into the eyes of Jesus. No, I called him a liar, but I was so, so wrong. To know that I'm wicked and that I deserve what's coming, even though he did everything possible to keep me from it. I can't fathom what that would be like. You know, when we get to heaven... You don't have to worry about a book being open, laying out all the things you did wrong. It's going to be one book open for you. Be like, Lamb's Book of Life, let's see. Will's name here? Will, you're here. Come on in, bud. That's it. We don't have to talk about the, this incident. No, come on in. I don't know anything about that incident, but you can tell me about it later. <laughs> come on in. Your name's in the book. But if your name's not in that book, can you imagine what it would be like as the book of all your deeds is opened up and you're thinking, I was a good wife, I was a good husband, I was a good parent, I was a hard worker, I was a good man, good woman. And then you see it all laid out and you realize it wasn't fine. 
That's why the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You want Jesus in your life? You don't have him yet? Then repent. What does that mean? It means to change your mind. Turn around. Change your mind and receive God's testimony about his son. Listen to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Place your trust in Jesus. Now, John is not primarily writing to that group of people. He's writing to people who have already believed God's testimony. He's writing to believers. So in verse 13, he explains why he wrote the letter. Everything we've studied up to this point. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Two things, that you may know that you have eternal life, and then secondly, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He said, wait a second, he already said, I'm writing to people who already believe. We'll get to that in a minute, what that means. But this first reason he wrote this letter is so we could have assurance of our salvation. These things have I written unto you, the ones believing, the ones presently relying on, the ones presently trusting in Jesus, the Son of God, believing on his name. Why does he say the name? Why do we see so often believe on the name of Jesus? Is it because Jesus' name is magical? No. Is it like a magic spell? We can just go, Jesus, and everything's better. No. That's not what he means. What he means by this is that he's referring to the specific person, Jesus, all right? Like, I can't make up my own Jesus. I can't have my own idea of Jesus. I can't go, well, my Jesus is named Al, okay? No, no one named Al died for your sins. No one named Al is the son of God. Lots of good Al's, maybe even here today, but you're not Jesus, there's one Jesus. It's a specific person. And so when he says, you that believe on the name of the Son of God, it's the actual Son of God, the Jesus that God testified of. John wrote to us who are already saved, who are already experiencing eternal life, why? That we may know that we have eternal life. That word know is not an experiential knowledge. It's not a feely thing. It's a head knowledge. It's not knowledge based on feeling or experience, but established fact. And it's in the perfect tense, which means it's a completed action with ongoing results in the future. In other words, it's something that's settled and done. Like there needs to come a point in your life, in the same way that you gave your life to Christ, there needs to come a point in your life where you go, Lord, I believe the testimony that you give here through this letter in 1 John. I believe I have eternal life. You have to come to that place at some point where that just changes you from the day forward. So much of my young Christian life was a struggle because I would not make that decision. I would go, but no, 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 no. I just need to get here and then I'll know. I just need to get to this point. Then I'll know I have eternal life. And of course, I would struggle and struggle and struggle and I would never get there. And because of that legal relationship with God, I never measured up and so I never knew I had eternal life. It's for every Sunday the preacher would give an altar call and I'd get born again again. And again, John wants us to come to a place where we know this fact that, man, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I belong to Jesus. And that, that knowledge, knowing that, it affects us every single day of our lives moving forward. John wrote this letter so that every believer would come to a place in their life where they absolutely know right now, today, that they have eternal life. And that our right now is every day afterwards into infinity, into eternity. Now, you may have noticed this word here that you may know. That word may, it means that this verb's in the mood of possibility, which means it is possible to have eternal life, but walk through life doubting it. 
possible to be saved and walk through life doubting it. But that's not what John wants. So which kind of believer are you? Do you know that eternal life is yours right now and always will be? Or do you regularly doubt that? Do you have absolute assurance in your salvation? Because John says you can. He says you can. We're nearing the end of 1 John, and if you're here and you're a genuine believer, but we get to verse 21 and we move on to wherever God calls us next to study, and you don't know it like John describes here, you don't know that you're saved like John describes here, then we've missed the whole point of studying it. We've spent five chapters and you've missed the whole point. I realize that the difficulty lies in how we feel at times. Maybe some of you are like me, something's not working right with your body, or some difficult challenge comes into your life, and you immediately go to the, the go-to of God's judging me, right? Anybody else here besides me? Yeah, yeah, thank you, yeah. You're my, you're my brethren, <laughs> the glass half-empty brethren. I understand that. I get that. There are those days when you're like, oh, this is going on. We're going to pray. And then like nothing changes or something's going wrong with your body and you're just like, what's going on, Lord? What are you trying to tell me? What did, what did I do? What do I need to fix? And we can slip right back into that legal relationship with God. I know that. I get that. Sometimes you look at your life and you just go, yeah, but I, I did this again today. Maybe you say, I don't feel saved or I don't feel God's presence some other reason that just doesn't feel like you're close to God. Well, if that's the case, then let's look at 1 John again. Look at the three tests. Have you accepted God's testimony about Jesus? Are you growing in obedience, love for others, and knowing the truth, even if you hit some snags sometimes? You say, yeah, but I'm not growing very much, or I'm growing really slow. Poquito. Beverly, when we bought our first home, she really wanted, we had a fairly decent-sized yard, and and she wanted to have plants. So, I said, get plants, babe, let's do this. And every time she planted plants, they died. <laughs> she was the plant killer. That's how we called her. She's like, I want to, she'd be, babe, I want to get some more plants. I'm like, honey, you kill them every time. <laughs> I, I mean, I could light, light money on fire and it'd be the same process. But she really wanted plants, and so she worked really hard to figure out how to cultivate plants, and she did. And you go into our kitchen now, and you got the little windowsill that, over the sink that looks out on the side of the yard. It's got the, all these little tons of these cute plants and stuff and everything, and they're growing. She knows exactly how to take care of them. They flourish. They look good. We, we uh, replaced the planters with the skull and crossbones on them with happy faces. But every once in a while, I don't know anything about plants, I'll walk by and I'll see her messing with it and she's like, oh, you know, it's not growing quite right here because they're all different, right? Some of them need, they don't, they need just enough sun, not enough sun, need a little bit of shade or they only need sun during certain times or they need to be able to crawl around things or whatever. And so she'll go over and she'll be like, oh, this one's not growing as quickly as I'd like it to. And then she'll look at it and she'll say, it's wilting here, I need to turn it, but it's growing over here. It's still growing. So even if it's a little bit, you're still growing even if you hit some snags along the way. 
If you look at God's testimony, say, I do accept God's testimony. Yes, I, I am growing. I'm not who I used to be. I wish I was further along, but I'm not who I used to be. Well, if the answer is yes, then stop doubting John's words. Stop listening to the condemning lies of the enemy in your own heart. Stop listening to your own pride that says you should be better. That was my struggle. My pride would always say, but Will, you've been a Christian for this many years. You should be better by now. It's been six months. You've been walking with Jesus. Why aren't you perfect yet? Or, probably what's more realistic, I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years and I'm still working on this. Stop trying to be good enough for God and rest in the finished work of Christ. Trust God's words through John instead of yourself. Why is it so important that we have assurance of our salvation? Well, it's because of the second thing John says, because knowing you're saved changes how you approach your relationship with Jesus. He says, I'm writing this to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life, and secondly, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, or literally, that you might keep on trusting in the name of the Son of God. Listen, when you get saved, it's not like false teachers who tried to deceive you before, like, oh, bummer, he's got his saved card, we got to go somewhere else now. It's not like the flesh, you know, it's like, oh, we lost. Ah, can't do anything now. It's not like the enemy, when he realizes he can't destroy our soul, that he still doesn't try to kill our witness or steal our joy. All of those dangers don't go away because you got saved. But we must not succumb to those things. We must not succumb to those things because we might lose our salvation, but we need to not succumb to them so that we can go deeper in our relationship with Christ. Because that's the only way we can experience the full joy God wants for us, is to know Him better, to go deeper with Him. That's what John started his letter with. 1 John 1, verse 3 and 4, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy might be full. We have this relationship with Jesus that's special. We want you to have that relationship with Jesus too. We want your joy to be full like ours is. So you need to know that you're saved so you can keep going deeper with Jesus. So are you regularly going deeper with Jesus? If you're not, and maybe you slipped into some of these areas again, you know, maybe you've, you've slipped into not loving others or not obeying the Lord or not growing in the truth. You say, yeah, that's me. Okay, well, then step out. Step out and then come back to your first love. That was the hardest part for me to realize is that, Lord, I've had like two horrible backslidden weeks. And he's like, okay, come. Well, I can't just come. I mean, I got like, to get flowers or something. Right? I've got to gotta like, like have a good day first. He's like, no, come. You're a mess. Let me clean you up. You can't do this. You couldn't save yourself to begin with. You're not going to do it now. Come. Well, the hardest part for me was to be able to come in all of my yuckiness and just cry out to him and, and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you, even though it felt like such hollow words, like, I'm going to follow you. Why didn't I do that the last two weeks? But to come, to know that I'm accepted, to know that he'll take me like that when I say, Lord, 
I'm turning from these things and I'm coming to you. That he'll take me, he'll wash me, he'll renew me, and then he'll begin to change me again. That's the only way it works. So if you slip in those areas and step out of them and come back to your first love. Maybe you're here this morning and you've forgotten who you are in Christ. All right? Go back to Ephesians and read the first three chapters. Study them. Study them hardcore. Dig in. Paul says you're forgiven. You're redeemed. You've been chosen for good works. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. You're part of the bride of Christ. You have a family. God has a plan. You have an inheritance waiting for you. That's why Paul prays in there, Lord, let them know that they've got the, the, the risen power of the risen Christ is available to them because of everything you've done. Come back to that. Maybe you've slipped into a, a legal relationship with God. Worship and church is, or reading your Bible has become monotonous, it's become dry. Okay. Well, then do what we just sang in that song before I started teaching. Teach me to abide. Come back to the Lord. Say, Lord, I need to learn to abide again. I need to learn to stay close again. I need to learn to just have that love relationship with you and not make it legal. Come back and say, I believe. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I trust you with all my life. I reaffirm that today and do that every day until he rekindles that love in your heart. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You got to just come. If you wait until you feel good enough or you feel right or you think you've done enough, you won't come. And if you do come, you'll come on the wrong terms. He says, come. You got to trust me. Trust that I am and that I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Not a reward of those who get it right enough so that they can come seek me. But those who will just trust me. Keep reaffirming that belief. And then start going deeper with Jesus again. Not so you can get saved again or even feel saved, but because you are saved. Amen? We are looking for a city We already belong to, but we're not in it yet. Just like Abraham. And if you will reaffirm that decision, no matter how far off the city looks, you think, man, I'm never going to get there. If you reaffirm, Lord, he'll, he'll come right by your side. He'll meet you right where you are, and he'll walk right with you as you keep walking, and he will get you there because he does not fail. Let's all stand. Lord, you are an awesome God that you would give us such a great salvation that we can know it's ours and we can rest in your finished work. But Lord, you, you, we have a part to play. You call us to labor to enter that rest. You call us to, if we're going to work for something, if we're going to put effort into something, it's to trust you, to rely upon you, to rest in you. So Lord, this morning, you know where every person's at. You know, Lord, you know if they've been calling you a liar. Lord, convict them. Love them, Lord. Draw them to your side. But Lord, you also know for most of us here who are believers this morning, and you know where we've, what we've slipped into. So Lord, those commitments that are being remade, saying, God, I'm coming home, I'm coming back, or Lord, I'm not gonna try to have a good enough day to come, I'm just coming right now. 
or if they're reaffirming their trust in you. Whatever it is, Lord, meet your people where they're at. Meet them and walk with them. And Lord, we thank you for your promise that you're going to get us to the city. In Jesus' name, amen.